We invite your attention this evening to the book of Acts chapter 20. The book of Acts chapter 20 and we uh, begin our study tonight on the 17th article of faith. And our subject is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. We want to begin at verse 17. We're going to read some verses, but our text will be in verse 21. I could find no other passage which was more perfect for this subject than this one. And it is actually in the paragraph regarding what we believe. Now again, we are noting repentance and faith. Each subject deserves its own study, but we find here that as our as we believe, these are inseparable graces of God. They are as twin sisters joining together. Here in Acts twenty and verse seventeen, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. When they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks or the Gentiles, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Spirit witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Now I'll stop there, but what we find is this, that Paul here tells these at Ephesus that he had preached unto both Jews and Gentiles repentance toward God and faith in Christ. And now you remember that, and don't change them or mix them up, because it's not repentance towards Jesus and faith in God, it's repentance toward God and faith in Christ. And I believe we'll see that. People say, what's the difference? Well, God the Father is distinct in the Trinity from God the Son. Oh, they are the same because Jesus said, I and my Father are one, yet they hold different office works, if you would. It's much like the Holy Spirit. He is God. But he has his own work that he does. So the Lord shows us these things tonight. Now again remember we said a week ago when we spoke on the new birth. That salvation is an umbrella or a blanket term. That has to do with all of the aspects of salvation. And we spoke uh, regarding in this reference. Remission of sins. Redemption. Deliverance. New birth regeneration all of those things are summed up in the great word salvation and repentance and faith find their place in this 
is well. And I think that maybe someday when I can get all things ready, although I'll never get there, but take a, a wheel and put spokes in it and call the wheel salvation and the spoke remission and the spoke deliverance and the spoke regeneration and so on and so forth. And then you spin the wheel and tell me which one moves first. They all move together. That's like repentance and faith. People want to always divide up. They want to add steps to salvation. There are no steps. It's instantaneous. It's life. God implants life where there was none. Boy, we find here that in the world... People want to add steps, and I like steps. They help you get from one place to the other, but there's only one step, and that's Jesus. The Bible says that no man cometh unto the Father but by me, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we find here, again we note in verse 21, Paul spoke. And again remember, we said that Jesus spoke in, in John chapter 3 when he said, Ye must be born again. He laid out the necessity in the word must. He laid out the world's uh, need when he said ye. He wasn't just speaking regarding Nicodemus. Nicodemus wasn't the only man who needed to be born again. But all who would see and enter the kingdom of God must be born again. And that's what Paul tells us here in Acts 20 and verse 21 that the Jews and Gentiles alike must repent toward God and have faith in Jesus. The Jews weren't the only ones who needed to repent, and the Gentiles weren't the only ones who needed to believe. They all did, because they were all sinners alike. So we find that this is the great need of every man to repent and believe. Now note these words here because the Bible shows us and he tells us here and he puts it exactly as God would have it. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. And we'll have more to say about that. But our first point this evening, we're going to take the subject separately. We're going to compare repentance with other things and we're going then we're going to note faith and then we're going to note them together. And that last one will be real brief because we'll have covered much of them separately. And you know, I find whenever you speak about repentance, you're speaking about faith. Because it's like we said, they're inseparable. They are two twin sisters joined together. You can't have repentance without faith. And you can't have faith without repentance. It's impossible. God has joined them together. But note first, in our lesson tonight, that repentance is the duty of man as well as the gift of God. Acts chapter 17, if you would, and verse 30. We've used this text oftentimes. In fact, when we spoke on the subject's repentance, oh, I believe about a year ago or more, we covered several messages regarding it. And we find here that in Acts chapter 17 and verse uh, 30, it says this. 
and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Now remember this, and we'll refer back to it here and not long. But he tells us here, he said, But God, but now, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That's a tremendous subject. The buts of God. You remember there, how in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, where it speaks of, But God. And it went on to say about his mercy and love that he saved us. And now the Bible tells us God used to wink at the ignorance. He didn't turn a blind eye to it like some people think, but he winked at the sins of making idols. And I don't have time to go into that, but you get yourself a dictionary and look up the word. But you look here, but now, and people always want to say, well, God used to do this. You know, God doesn't change. God will judge people who make idols today as much as he did yesterday. And he tells us, But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now God has that right. And he didn't leave anyone out. And he tells us here in our lesson, if you look over to Romans 2, Romans chapter 2, you see, it's the duty of man, yet it is the gift of God. Here you find the tremendous lesson that God's goodness brings about repentance. Romans 2 and verse 4, it says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now, I believe, and you can hold your place there as well, I believe that it is man's duty to repent. Because, you know, God doesn't need to repent. He didn't do anything wrong. Who sinned in Eden? Was it Adam or God? Who wronged who? Did God wrong Adam? Certainly he did not. It was Adam who sinned. You know, the Bible tells us, in several places, and we'll turn to some of them in a moment, but it says this, Repent ye. Now God wasn't talking to himself. He was talking to sinners. Now you turn with us, and I know I got you holding places, but I'll give you those references if you need to let them go. But look in Luke chapter 13. The Bible tells us, that repentance is the duty of man. You know, man has a lot of duties. And there's a lot of things he neglects to do. And that's the problem with man. And that's the problem of our sinful natures. They cause us to neglect. But here in Luke 13, beginning at verse 3, and then we'll go down to verse 5. I tell you, nay, but except Ye repent, 
ye shall all likewise perish. And then verse 5, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Very similar language to when he told Nicodemus, except ye be born again. Jesus didn't need to be born again. Jesus didn't need to repent. God didn't need to repent. Now you look here, and he says, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And he gives the reference, and you can read in beginning at verse 1 and down through verse 5. But he tells them this, Except ye repent. Now what happens if we repent? Well, we're not going to perish. Why is that? Because Christ already perished on the cross, paid for our sins. Now we look here and look back to the Gospel of Matthew. Here we find this was the subject of Jesus after he began his earthly ministry. In fact, this was the very first message I ever preached on repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4 and verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now look back into Matthew 3 and see, if you would hear, the first message that the first Baptist preached. Here in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 4. I apologize, verse 2. And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, isn't that something that Jesus preached the same message that a Baptist did? Boy, that's something else. I think it's because he made the first one. And he made the second one, and the third, and the fourth, and so on. But you know, we'll not go into that tonight. But you know here that repentance was called for several times. And every time we read Except for Matthew chapter 4, but you look into Luke chapter 13, and Jesus himself said, except ye repent. You see, it's the duty of man to repent. And we'll get to that in a moment. Why men do not repent. But we find here what is, and I believe this is a good place to establish the definition of repentance. Well, let's look in the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I believe God's word defines exactly what it means. But this repentance is none other than godly sorrow wrought or worked in the heart by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit at the preaching of God's word directed by God. I know that's a long definition, but repentance is the work of the Spirit of God. Second Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8. Paul writing, he said, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent or regret, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorrow after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us 
in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now you note here with us in this scripture that Paul says, he's told the Corinthian church, you remember what was going on at the Corinthian church. You remember how that they had one man who was committing incest with his father's wife. Now they observed the Lord's Supper and became gluttons and drunkards at the Lord's table. And they made a feast out of it. And some of them slept or died and others became very, very ill. And Paul wrote them a letter. And he's referring here under the book of 1 Corinthians. And he chastened them. Oh, he chastened them. He used God's word. And he showed them the error of their ways, if you would. And they became so sorrowful at themselves. And their sorrow led to repentance, as the Bible says here in these very words, that their repentance, as it speaks, if you give me a moment to find it, in verse 9, that ye sorrowed to repentance. Some people never get repentance, they just get sad. Now there's two kinds of repentance. And Paul tells us what they are in verse 10. And if you need to, you can just write this, the definition of repentance here. He says, for godly sorrow, or two sorrows, I apologize. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Now what Paul is saying is this. He said, when God gets a hold of you, and God makes you sorry for sin, and brings you to repentance, you'll not be sorry that you repented of your sins. Isn't that amazing the way some people who are saved walk around on this earth? It's almost as if they're so sad that they ever profess Christ. Kind of like the Israelites when they uh, lusted and they wanted to go back to Egypt because they missed the onions and the garlics and the leeks. And they were blinded unto the manna and the food that came down from heaven. That's what that's what uh, worldly sorrow does. And you know who had worldly sorrow? Judas is a chariot. Now you read on here and it says, But the sorrow of the world worketh death. What did he do? He was so sad that he betrayed Jesus, he went and hung himself. That's worldly sorrow. It's kind of like people who become so downtrodden and so saddened by something that they do that they commit suicide. But it also carries with us this, that those who are sorrowful, but they never repent, it works death. Why? Because worldly sorrow is a sin. And the wages of sin is death. So we have here, we want you to note here, repentance. Again, the definition is, it is godly sorrow. Wrought or worked in the heart by the Holy Spirit at the preaching of the word of God. Repentance is inward. It is manifested outwardly. But it's done inwardly. Now again, repentance is a deep understanding of God's wrath. But more than that. Now you remember what we said there in Acts chapter uh, 17, if you look there with me, regarding repentance. 
The Bible says this. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Well, look in verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Now, that's Jesus. God's going to judge the world by Jesus. But men must repent with this idea in mind. Not simply that God is going to carry out his wrath upon them if they don't, but that they have wronged and sinned against a holy God. We do not repent because we're afraid of God's wrath. We repent because we are sorrowful that we sinned against a thrice holy God. And we loathe ourselves in his sight. Now you think about that. Yes. His wrath is a terrible thing. But you know why we apologize to other people? It's like when you do something against someone and you tell them, you say, I'm sorry. You don't do that because you're afraid of them. You do it because you wronged them. You offended them. You afflicted them. That's why we repent against God, because we offended him. That's why it's repentance toward God, because he was offended. And the only way that this offense can be taken care of is in repentance toward God and faith in Christ. Now that offense must still be paid for. That's why Jesus had to die. And that's why sinners will never come out of hell because they'll never be able to fully pay for the offense against God. But we want to move along. Again, repentance is an understanding that we have injured God himself with all rebellion and sin. That's a hard thing to understand for myself because you realize you've got God and sin offends him. Sin offends me, but mostly when it's done towards me. But see, all sin is done towards God. That's why it's offensive to him. You know, I don't know what's going on in in, uh, Michigan, in the state of Michigan anymore. I know there's sin there, but it doesn't really offend me because I'm not there. It's not against me. But you see, all sin everywhere offends God because that's, he's holy. Now we find as well, regarding repentance, it is taken from two Greek words, or two Greek phrases put together. One means after, one means perceive. And so the word repentance means to perceive afterwards. And isn't that what happens? We perceive after we've done something that we've offended God. And so we must repent. We must turn to God Now note further definitions of repentance. Turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 20. And you can let go of Acts 17. I believe we're done with it if you're still holding on to it. Acts chapter, or I apologize, Ezekiel chapter 20. What else is repentance? Well, repentance is this. It's not only an apology because we offended God. But it's a loathing of ourselves. Here in Ezekiel 
chapter 20 and verse 43 and 44. And there shall ye remember your ways and all your doings, wherein ye have defiled. And ye shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all your evils that ye have committed. And ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I have wrought with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O ye house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Now he's referring here to Israel, but what God's telling them is this. He says, when I have mercy on you, and I give you a new life and a new heart, and he said, and then you see yourselves, you're going to loathe who you were. And boy, that's exactly what will happen. We loathe what we once were. I've never seen leprosy. But you know, a leper is defined, it's, a, it's, it's a, a one who is referred to as a sinner. And it's a disease that eats the flesh. And it has a putrid smell. You can imagine what flesh being eaten smells like. Boy, you'd have to loathe that. And that's exactly what God does. God loathes sin. He abhors sin. And the Bible tells us here that we will loathe ourselves. That's why after God saves us and we continue to sin because we have sinful natures, but that's why we don't get rid of them sooner or, or, or get rid of those some of those sins. We don't loathe ourselves. If you loathe something, you'll get rid of it. You know, it's kind of like uh, when we go into some places and clean and got to take out the trash. Boy, it, it's pretty bad. But you see, we, you loathe that, so what do you do? You get rid of it. And that's what we need to do with sin is remove it. Look in Ezekiel 36 and verse 41. Ezekiel 36. Well, I'll be honest with you, that's the wrong place. Give me just a minute here, and we'll see here. Well, that's all right. It just merely repeated it, but I wanted to emphasize it, and we'll look it up later. But nevertheless, we find here that the Bible tells us that God abhors, and he says he's going to make us loathe ourselves. You see what we find here, if you'll note now in Psalms 80, in the book of Psalms and uh, the 80th division, that he tells us that repentance and turning are the same thing. Because repentance is to go from one way and turn to another way. And specifically, turning to God. But you note here, in Psalms 80, that repentance here is as well as the work of God. Because remember, we said that it's man's duty, but it's God's work. How in the world can one as we use the phrase, one who is a sinner. Remember when we spoke on the free agency of man? Man's nature is to sin. That's all he wants to do. He has no interest in turning toward God. God must turn him. And how does God do that? Through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God. You know God changes your want to? And you want to turn toward God, don't you? 
when he saves you? Here in Psalms 8 and verse 3. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. Verse 7. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. And then again, he tells us as well in verse 19. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. You see, it is the work of the Holy Spirit of God who does the turning. Now, God doesn't repent. He brings it about in us. It's done under his power, as we read there in Romans 2 and verse 4, that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It's God's goodness that we fall under the preaching word of God. It's God's goodness that he sends out missionaries to tell us the truth. It's God's goodness that he brings people into the house of God. They used to say regarding my grandfather, he got saved out of curiosity. Well, he was curious, all right, and God took care of it. But you know, it was God all along bringing these in. And that's the way it works. How in the world do our Armenians, how in the world can you take that and you think about that you go look out in the graves. You open one of them up, I guarantee you, as long as nobody's messed with it, that corpse is laying the same way it was when they put it in the ground. A dead person can't turn. But God can turn a dead person. Boy, I'll tell you what, God does it. He quickens them, makes them alive, brings them about unto repentance toward God. The Holy Spirit must do this work. It is his work. The Holy Spirit, he always operates in, in, within the nature. And so he changes the nature. He quickens them, gives them a new nature. And they turn and believe. Secondly, this evening, we want to note regarding faith. And we want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now remember, Yes, it is our duty. You know, it's our duty to repent as well as believe. God's not going to do our believing. Never does. Bible's very clear on this. In fact, you remember when the Philippian jailer said unto Paul, he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, don't worry about it. Jesus will believe for you. No, sir. He said, believe, Acts chapter, or Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now let's recall some things about faith. Let us recall this, that faith must be on the right object. And we spoke with Sister Dodson, and she told us that there's one fellow, he defined faith as this. You take a lake, and you freeze it over, and it's nice and thick. And if someone were to walk upon it, they'd make it all the way across. But let's say there's a person, and they come to that lake's edge, and they say, I don't think it'll hold me. They don't have any faith. 
But a person comes to that lake and they say, I believe it will hold, and they walk across one step at a time and they get to the other side. Their object was in the fact that that lake would hold, that the ice would hold. Now you take the other, another lake and that ice isn't fully frozen over. And a person comes to that and they say, I believe that ice will hold me. Their faith is strong. They really believe and they walk out and they fall through the ice. What's the difference? Their faith was in the wrong object. People can believe in whatever they want and be genuine and really believe it. But unless it's faith in God, it will not hold. It will not stand the test of time. It will not hold water. And faith in God, I specifically mean faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we noted there in our text. The Bible tells us and shows us that there are two kinds of faith. Experience tells us this. There's a historical faith. And unbelievers have a historical faith. Oh, they know God exists. They know there was a person by the name of Jesus who was virgin born. Who 33 and a half years later hung on a cross and went into a tomb. And three days later, some of them believe it was a day and a half. But I'll not argue with them on that point tonight. But they believe that he came out of that tomb. They believe in historical facts. And they're going to die and go to hell. There's another faith called genuine faith. Paul wrote unto Timothy and he says, I am persuaded that the unfeigned faith which was in your grandmother and mother is in you. He said, I believe that that real, genuine faith that was in your grandmother and mother is in you. Now, you remember, Timothy was taught from a child the scriptures. He was made wise unto salvation. He was taught the historical facts of God's word. But he had to believe and have genuine faith. You know, I really can't describe it. But you take two saved people and they can look at each other and begin to talk about faith and they'll say, that's right. I know exactly what you're talking about. Faith is an experience. It's an experience. It's like a birth. You experience birth. And here we find that he speaks of these things. Regarding faith as well, there is no merit in faith itself. We do not earn anything in faith. It's a gift. Remember what faith is? It's a channel. It's only the passageway through which God's grace does flow. We are saved by grace through faith. Isn't that amazing? People will say, I receive God's grace by doing works. I receive God's grace by praying a prayer. No, it's by faith in what Jesus did at Calvary. That's why it's by faith, belief, or believing on Jesus Christ. Not only this, but faith, soul, subject must be Jesus. We already mentioned that with the lake. But I tell you this. It wasn't a doctrine that hung there on the tree of the cross. 
It wasn't a doctrine that was buried in the grave. It wasn't a doctrine that rose three days later. It wasn't a doctrine that had its back turned or had God's back turned from it. It wasn't a doctrine that was beaten and scourged and marred. It was Jesus. And you can't put your faith in a single doctrine and be saved. It's in a person. It's in God the Son himself. People always want to believe. They want to believe in doctrine. Jesus the person. He's the center of our belief. You know he's the author and finisher of our faith. It begins and ends with him. Jesus. We find here. That the Lord tells us. Regarding faith, Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Why? Because he is God. Many missed the boat regarding that. I want to note as well, before we consider faith and repentance together, and I apologize, I had put it later in my notes and I forgot to draw a line to it. But there are some denominations, particularly one, Roman Catholicism, that believe that repentance and penance are the same thing. And they're not. Now there are three words, and I used to wonder about them. Repentance, penance, and penitent. Penitent simply is the name of one who repents. That's what that is. It means someone who is filled with repentance. That's a descriptive word. As we already noted, the definition of repentance. But I want to read to you here in the Dewey Bible, or the Dewey version of the Bible. It tells us in Matthew 3 and verse 2, Do penance, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Luke 13, 5 would say, Except you do penance, you shall all likewise perish. No wonder it's a religion of works. They're telling them to do things. You've got to do things. People say, well, you told them to believe. Absolutely, that's what the Bible says. And God's the one who brings that to pass. But penance, this is the definition given. It says, uh, quoting, penance is the word according to the use of the scriptures and holy fathers does not only signify repentance and amendment of life, but also the punishing of past sins by fasting and such like penitential exercises. What they're saying is this, that penance goes beyond sorrow and change. They said by penance they're punishing themselves for sin. Well, there's three things wrong with that. Because I'll tell you what. Either Jesus died and paid the penalty or he didn't. And there's nothing that you can add to the work at Calvary because Jesus said it is finished. Past, present, and future sins are paid for under the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to go into it, but that does not give us a license to sin and live our lives as we want. But you see, to believe that our repentance and there is 
punishment in sin implies, number one, that Christ's atonement at Calvary didn't finish the job. It also implies that we can atone for our sins. You know what a song we sing is? Rock of Ages? It goes on and it says, That could my tears forever flow. That's what people think penance is. They think crying over spilt milk or their sins is tears. Could my tears tears forever flow? Could my zeal no respite or no rest know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. You see, there's nothing that we can do. Judas is a chariot's tears falling from his eyes couldn't save him. There's not a thing we can do to save ourselves. Not only this. To believe in the outward act of penance, to have no inwardness of repentance, is to deceive ourselves and to believe that we are saved when we are lost. So that is the difference between penance and repentance. Penance is you doing something to be forgiven. Repentance is turning to God and getting right with the Lord. Now, fourthly, this evening, repentance and faith considered together. Look in Mark chapter 1. You remember our text? Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul testified to everyone. He told both Jews and Greeks that this is what the Lord required. Mark 1 and verse 15. <laughs> Excuse me. Mark 1 15. And saying, this is Jesus speaking, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now what's the gospel? It's the story of our redemption, the death, or rather how Jesus died, his burial, and his resurrection. The third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. He said, repent ye and believe the gospel. People say, well, every time repentance is said, it doesn't say and believe. That's because I believe it's implied. Because you can't separate them. It's just like there where the Bible tells us the Philippian jailer. Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, I want to ask you this. If a man worships an idol, here's this idol, and he worships this idol... How in the world is he going to come to know that he needs to turn to God unless he first believes that that idol cannot do one thing and that Jesus is the only Savior? He must believe that. And then, how can he believe that unless he turns to God and sees that that idol can do nothing for him? They're inseparable. Repentance does not proceed faith. Faith does not proceed repentance. They are twin graces. Inseparable. That God works in a believer. In a sinner saved by grace. At the moment of conversion of his own doing. That's what they are. 
people want to split. And I understand why people want to separate things because, humanly speaking, that's how we work. We put things into categories. We set them up into steps. We can't understand this infinite God who can do a whole bunch of things at once. Here he is doing the great work of salvation by repentance and faith. Lastly, if you would, repentance and faith both bring forth fruits. Remember John the Baptist? He said there when the Pharisees, he said, Oh, wicked, oh, wicked generation, or oh, uh, generation of vipers, as he called. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. What he was telling them was this. Give evidence that you have repented. What James say in James chapter 2. He said, I'll show you my faith by my works. You see, they both bring forth fruit. They both bring forth evidence. They are different. But they are twin sisters, graces of God. And then one last thing. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. You know, sometimes we who are saved, we need to repent and believe. Sometimes we do. Not that we lost our salvation, but because we wronged God. Remember what his disciples or one of the one of the people Jesus came across in his earthly ministry said, he said, Lord, help mine unbelief. That's what he said. He said, help mine unbelief. I think saved people have a problem with unbelief. Israel did. Remember, they didn't enter into the land of Canaan because of unbelief. They saw God open the Red Sea, but they couldn't believe he'd give them the land that flowed with milk and honey. They didn't believe. Here in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is our faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes those who are saved need to repent and believe. We need to ask God for forgiveness of our sins. We need to believe more on the Lord. We need to commit all things unto the Lord. Repentance, as I've often heard my father say, it's not genuine if you go back and commit the sin again. And then wouldn't that be something? What would you think of a wife, I'll use the wives this time, of a wife who cheated on her husband, tells her husband she's sorry, and the next day goes and does it again? Well, I'd have to say she wasn't very sorry. I really would. That's my personal opinion. But you know, if we ask God for forgiveness, if we really confess, and this is a point of repentance I failed to mention, forsaking. Forsaking the sin. Because remember, repentance is to turn from one way unto another way, specifically God's way. And true repentance, it'll put us on a straight and narrow way with the Holy Spirit leading. Well, I tell you, how in the world? Isn't that amazing? Well, I can't figure it out. People can pay for their sins ahead of time. And repentance is to change our minds, or as the word was defined is, to perceive 
afterwards. Men do not have foreknowledge. There's no pre-repentance. It's to be sorry after a sin has committed. Boy, I tell you, that is a missing note. That's how you get. When you get rid of repentance and faith, that's how you get these draw the line and step over it salvations. That's how you get this easy believism. If you pray this prayer with us, then we believe you're born again. That's how you get that. You just do away with repentance, with sorrowfulness. People aren't sad about sin anymore. That's because repentance and conviction of sin is missing from many pulpits. And it's missing in many lives. Boy, we need to stand for these truths. Our articles of faith, repentance and faith. This is what we believe. So may God help us to stand for it, to believe it, and as well to practice what we believe. Let's stand and be dismissed from the house of God this evening. Again, remember, all those who were mentioned before, we will add those to the prayer band list. And we also, if you hear anything, or if there is uh, some news regarding either one, any of them, please let us know so that we can thank God for the news of whatever transpires. Brother Gail, if you'll close in prayer this evening, please.